Luke chapter 15. Last Sunday, we looked at the first two stories, the first two parables, and today we're going to look at the third. Uh, I've called this sermon, One Loving Father and Two Lost Sons. I realize this parable is called uh, the prodigal son, and so often the focus is on that. Uh, But I want to suggest this morning that actually, as Leroy has already already suggested, uh, that actually in some ways both sons uh, represent some lostness here. Uh, There's a progression uh, in this story. Uh, There's rebellion, and here come the R's. There's rebellion and then ruin, uh, then repentance, then restoration, and finally rejoicing. So rebellion, ruin, repentance, restoration, and rejoicing. And uh, this third parable gives us a, uh, a complete picture of repentance. Uh, we don't really see repentance in the uh, parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin, but in this story, uh, Jesus is highlighting repentance. The son rebels, verses 12 through 16. He returns, verses uh, 17 to 21. Then he's restored in 22 to 24, uh, and that produces rejoicing in his father's house. So we want to start this morning by, I'm, I'm going to, just to let you know, I'm going to look at all three individuals uh, separately. So we're going to look at the prodigal son first, uh, verses 11 through 20. I'm going to read that again and then make comments based on uh, what is said there. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state. So he divided his property between them. That's the first, kind of the first paragraph of our story. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And he had spent, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, here's a kind of a shift in our story. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Well, let's unpack this part of the story. The younger son asks for his inheritance before his father dies. And of course, if you know, the oldest son always got the double share, so this is a one-third, two-third division here. He's asking for a third of his father's uh, wealth, uh, his possessions and everything. Really, to ask for the inheritance early was like wishing your father was dead. This would have been considered an act of rebellion. In fact, to distribute the estate too soon was to risk having to fall into another's care. And nevertheless, the father here grants this wish. I think this detail also pictures the father who is letting a sinner go his own way. So here's free will crops up here again. Apparently, the son couldn't legally sell his father's assets before his death, but he does so anyway. And as it says, he gets his stuff together, he gets all that wealth, whatever he had sold, and he leaves. I wonder sometimes, like the younger son, are we often weary of restraint, wanting independence, impatient of divine control, seeking to be our own master? And then, of course, this rebellion, the sin of sins, in which all other sins are included. 
Well, what, fears, uh, what was feared takes place. The son squanders this fortune in a distant land. Uh, he throws away his inheritance by living hard and wildly. And Jesus actually intends us, or his hearers, to see a parallel between the prodigal son and the tax collectors that were referred to in verse 1 of this chapter. The tax collectors and sinners, they represent this prodigal son. They were also considered to be far away from God. Well, when his money runs out, a famine further exasperates the predicament, and he needs to eat. So his situation turns from squandering plenty to now being in need. And isn't that the case when you squander what you have and you live wildly, you end up there? He hits an all-time low, rock bottom. He's feeding pigs. He could sink no lower. I think sometimes we could consider this a picture of the dire circumstances that sin produces. When we take charge and we decide how we're going to live, um, things just unravel. The text also says when he's in this situation, no one gave him anything. He's alone in the world. The friends he had bought, the friends that he had bought, were no longer interested. He's alone, despised, insignificant, and destitute. Now, 15 verse 15, uh, which says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. I think the hearers would have expected that this was the end of the story. The younger son gets what he deserves. But the story doesn't stop there. In fact, verse 17 is kind of an interesting shift because he comes to his senses. And isn't that the case? Every sinner has to come to his senses. We have to recognize our estate. We need to recognize where we're at. We need to come to repentance. And so this younger son has a change in perspective regarding the home that he had left. It took absolute rock bottom for him to change his perspective. <clears throat> I remember a really close friend of mine in Nicaragua who I got to know really well. And uh, I really cared about him. I can remember where I was. I remember the situation, riding my motorbike with him on the back. And I said to him, you know, if you died, it would hurt me more than if my mother died. Now, my mother might be listening, so I need to qualify this. Um, in, in Latin America, there's nothing more important than your mother. And what I told him after that was, if my mother dies, that would hurt me, but I know where she's going to end up when she dies because she's a believer. In your case, if you die, I don't have that assurance. So in that sense, it hurts more. It was really quiet on that bike after that. Um, I tell the story because he hit rock bottom. He got, into, he got back into drinking. He, I remember him calling me when he woke up in the house without his shoes. He had lost them somewhere, barefoot, just drunk out of his mind. And he had hit rock bottom. He called me over. I came over. I explained the plan of salvation to him again. And I could just see the fight, the internal fight. He was at that point where he needed to repent, and the fight was on. And unfortunately, I have to tell you this morning that he didn't give in. He didn't give in to the hound of heaven. He did not say yes to God. And um, 
I, I, at that point, I had no more things to say to him. I, I, I had nothing to offer uh, as far as other than praying for him, bringing him around. We need a change in perspective. Uh, we need to recognize. Uh, and here, this younger son, he hits rock bottom and it changes his perspective. He decides to return. He decides to admit guilt. He asks to be a hired hand. And I know there are some that would say, and maybe with just cause, that he's motivated by self-preservation more than true repentance. He returns out of hunger, not because he's genuinely sorry for disgracing his father. In fact, some would surely say that it was an incredible act of presumption rather than an act of humility. And I wonder if the father didn't uh, run to meet him to protect him from the villagers that would have stoned a son for coming back after what he had done. Yet this son is willing to do anything to be a lowly servant if he can only gain entrance back into his home. Verse 19, he recognizes that his sins are so reprehensible that he deserves to be cut off from his family relationally. He recognizes that. Our first two stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, focused on God's active search for the lost. And that's why we called it the hound of heaven, that he searches after us. Here we are reminded that sinners must make a choice to return to God. Repentance is required. Let's look at the loving father. Luke 15, verse 12, 20 to 24, 28 to 32. And I'm going to read that so that we, uh, we keep that in mind. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Then verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found again. So they began to celebrate. Now notice the interaction between the father and the older son. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's true, the attitude of God is at the center of this parable. It has to be, as it is in the, all, all, of, all three parables. He approaches sinners who turn to him with open arms, and he actively pursues sinners in hopes of restoring them. Do we believe that God embraces those who turn to him? Whether it's this prodigal son or the thief on the cross, do we believe? This text calls us to see that he does, and then to rest in the encouragement that such love and grace generates. The father lets the son go his own way. He lets the sinner go his own way, free will. God invites, he doesn't obligate. 
His father sees him while he's still a long way off, and I think that suggests that he went looking for him every day. He was looking out for him. <clears throat> when he sees him, he's filled with compassion. And Luke describes that compassion. He says he runs to him, he throws his arms around him, he kisses him. There's full acceptance even before he gets cleaned up. The story of the prodigal reaches its climax when the father runs to meet him. This father, he, and he will have had to lift his robes. It, 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 in this culture, it was, uh, it was not dignified for a father to run to a son. And yet here he is. The focus is on the father. His actions contrast with the depravity of the prodigal who is utterly contemptible. Before he can even mouth his final resolve, make me one of your hired servants, the father interrupts him and restores him to status, the status of a beloved son, which the robe, the ring, and the sandals represent. By the way, servants went barefoot in those days, so having sandals meant he wasn't a servant. The father's concern for the lost is depicted in his kissing the prodigal even before he made his confession. God in his foreknowledge knows the heart of the repentant sinner and he eagerly welcomes him or her and even goes to meet them. This is the central issue of the parable. Do we believe that God embraces those who turn to him? The father also demonstrates love to the older son. Notice that he goes out to plead with him when he refuses to enter the house. He reiterates the reason for celebration. This younger son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. The father is teaching both of his sons about this joy of restoration. Returning backsliders are welcomed by the father. God is constantly seeking and inviting us to be in a relationship that is entered freely by personal choice. Finally, the, young, the older brother. The older brother, Luke 15, verse 25 to 30. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. This is a kind of, I mean, what the younger son did kind of, kind of is... I was going to say chocante in Spanish. It kind of it, it hits you, and 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 what the older son does here as well hits you. This last last section of the story represents the Pharisees, who are mentioned in fifteen verse two. This is an extra that earlier parables didn't have. Notice, meanwhile, while the older son is working in the field, he comes home and hears the revelry, while this is all going on. Upon hearing the reason for the party, he becomes angry and he refuses to enter. <clears throat> now, we need to recognize that likely the attitude of the older son is completely understandable. 
Indeed, the listener to the parable is supposed to feel the same sense of injustice that the older son feels, highlighting the distinction between our self-centeredness and God's grace. The older brother refuses to enter the house, and that is also an insult to his father's dignity, just as the younger son's request for his inheritance was an insult. Further, he says, look, that's another insult, his Lack of a title, father or sir. That brash response to his father. What were his reasons for his anger? I don't know. I wonder if it wasn't jealousy over the younger son's exploits. The older brother also points out the contrast between his faithful love and service and the conduct of his younger brother. The older son thought that he had a relationship with his father because of his work. He served his father not out of love, but out of a desire for reward. And notice he says, you never gave me. There's a long, smoldering discontent. The older brother is self-righteous, he's proud, he's unforgiving, he's self-consumed, and he's angry. And he has disowned his younger brother because he says, this son of yours, he's no longer my brother. The father corrects him and says, this brother of yours. And then this older brother, his charges include sharp criticism of both father and brother. His comment, for instance, mentioning prostitutes, it, it isn't mentioned anywhere else in the text. He's maybe jumping to conclusions. You see, both the older brother and the Pharisees, they're both angry at the forgiving attitude of God. Neither wanted sinners and outsiders to be accepted into the kingdom. As the father pleads with the older son, so Jesus pleads with the Pharisees and legalists, wanting all to enter the kingdom. The vital question probably remains answered, and the text doesn't tell us. Did the elder brother eventually join in the welcome of his younger brother? The text doesn't say so. Maybe the, the, the absence of an answer here is deliberate. The parable is an appeal to us to change our mind about outcasts. Maybe the parable of the prodigal son should really be called the parable of the older brother. The point is that God is a gracious father, and if one is truly to be his child, one should adopt his attitude toward repentance. Let me say that again. God is a gracious father, and if one is truly to be his child, then one should also adopt his attitude toward repentance. It seems like the older brother, or the older son, didn't have a relationship with his father or with his younger brother. How should those who perceive themselves to be close to God respond to the lost? I think the older brother saw his father, or sees God, more as a taskmaster, who uses his services rather than a gracious father. When we come to God on the basis of His grace, humbly recognizing our need for Him, rather than trying to earn His favor, we find the arms of God ready to welcome us in celebration. So let's tie this together. Let's tie this together. The story of the prodigal son raises a vital question. Whose character do you and I bear? The Father's? Whose love overcame and made a way for the dead to live again? The older sons, 
whose anger at love and forgiveness so blinded him that he couldn't see that he needed forgiveness too? See, I've sometimes said that there is actually nothing that you can do to me that is worse than my sin that sent Christ to the cross. So what he forgave me for is far more than I will ever have to forgive someone else for. So if I can't forgive, then I certainly have not yet understood how much I've been forgiven. The parable obviously implies that God calls us to respond the way the Father called his older son to respond, to pursue sinners and welcome them home when they respond. Further, activity for God by itself or proximity to him is not the same as knowing him through a relationship. Jesus here uses, again, the banquet example, this celebration, killing the fatted calf. He's used that banquet example uh, already earlier in Luke, in chapter 13 and 14, to symbolize the coming kingdom. Sinners are entering the kingdom because they come to receive what Christ has given, and Pharisees end up on the outside because they can't accept this kind of forgiving love. Like the Pharisees, the older son could not comprehend the meaning of forgiveness. Even so, the father is constant in his love for both sons. The point of the parable? God gladly receives repentant sinners. All of us. All of us. Jesus uses this gripping story to contrast the father's attitude with that of the older brother and that of the Pharisees. How appropriate that the story of the prodigal son follows the earlier affirmations of God's love that we have in the first two parables. Does God really love us when we've rejected him, we've strayed, we've sinned? It's interesting that everything the son sought in a far-off country by his own devices was actually available in his father's house. He needed a change in perspective to see that. The younger son found that departing from his father, God, was not to throw off the yoke, but to exchange a lighter one for a heavier one. Our story also represents an astonishing reversal. The son that was out of the house is now in. And the son that was in the house is now outside. Attitudes. A joyless, self-righteous, legalistic, judgmental, and unforgiving approach to religion is often taken by people who claim to follow Jesus. That can't describe us. This parable justifies Jesus' involvement with sinners because he came to seek and to save that which was lost, each and every one. God is willing to restore all who are repentant and come to him. Jesus wants a community filled with people who can forgive and restore those who turn to God. And he is displeased with any who are disgruntled and sit sulking outside. We run the risk of missing the joy of relationship with God when we turn him into a scorekeeper. The Pharisees might not have been guilty of gross sins of the younger brother, but they were still sinners, guilty of a critical and unloving spirit and an unwillingness to forgive. They were banking on their behavior following the Torah, keeping Torah, 
But they were out of fellowship with the Father and they needed to repent and seek His forgiveness. We can also be out of fellowship if we are unforgiving and unrepentant. If God's love has so gripped you, you will join Him in seeking the lost and in welcoming the repentant sinner. This final slide that I wanted you to see, I found a picture of the loving father and the two lost sons. And, and, and I want to ask you this morning, which one describes you? The repentant sinner? The legalistic older brother? Or that heart of love of the father who is longing to restore that right relationship? My hope and my prayer this morning is that we will recognize the tendencies of that older son when they crop up in our minds and attitudes, that we will repent of those attitudes and that we will see all human beings as image bearers that God loves and wants to save. And that that love, not only on Valentine's Day, but that that love throughout the year will shine through us to those who are closest to us and also those who are further away. Those who the world would consider outcasts or sinners, but who God sees as important and he wants to redeem. Let's pray and then we'll ask the praise band to come up. Heavenly Father, we, we have to admit that sometimes it's just easy to be that older brother. Sometimes it's easy to be legalistic, to be a Pharisee. Sometimes it's easy to look down our nose at others and say, well, glad I'm not like that guy. That's not the attitude we want, Father. We want to love each and every person we come in contact with and see them through your eyes. We want to join you in the business of drawing people to Christ. Father, we ask that you would help us this week uh, to do that. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be witnesses to those around us. And bring to mind those things that we need to repent of. Uh, help us to make sure to remember that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And you long to have that relationship with us. Thank you for all you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question was posed, which of the brothers do you more relate to? Which of the characteristics and why? Did you have any responses from, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Not sure if you had any responses on the old text message machine. Sure did. So I had one comment come back and it was, and it was profound. And I'll get it yet. It talked about, says, I can be selfish and feel like being faithful to God is tiresome. Hmm. Sometimes I wish that I could live without a care in the world. Maybe like the prodigal son did for a while. It says, then I see the heartache that surrounds those that are living apart from God. 
and I'm brought back to choosing faithfulness. It, 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 it begs the question. It's a great observation. It begs the question. Um, when Jesus said, I came to give you life abundantly, abundant life, um, there's, there's a disconnect if we think that being faithful is sacrifice and not the abundant life. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, th that's the perception that if I trust God, if I follow God, if I, if I actually give myself over to discipleship and I follow him, that sacrifice, that's not going to feel like the abundant life. And yet Jesus says, it is. I think I can, I think I can, um, I can relate to the feeling that was in, in, that, in that text message because I, I think that there's times where I'm not. I'm not sure how even how to say it, but where it, where it seems like it seems like it is. It is more. It is more work. It is more effort. It takes more commitment. It takes more sacrifice to to continue to be faithful. Um, and yet, it's <laughs> there. There's there is also a tremendous joy that comes from from being faithful. And so there's that that balance, right? But it's uh, yeah. I can under I can understand that comment. Yeah. Do you have any others, any other responses? I have a comment. Okay. I think I, I relate to, to both. I think as a, as a young man in my, in my 20s, I didn't relate well to the prodigal son. I wasn't that, um, I didn't run away from home. I didn't rebel. I wasn't a sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of a, kind mm -hmm. of a guy. Um, and yet, as God has shown me more, I do see that that part the the rebellion the wanting to have it to do things my way whether it's the way i make my choices the selfishness the the not wanting to just give full control to god like i'm going to run my business my, the way that that i want to the way that i'm going the way that i provide for my family the way that i treat others is not going to fall in line with that. So subtle, more subtle ways that I that I see that. But I also really see myself the, in in the older brother. And as an Enneagram one, I'm a perfectionist. Mm. So when I see, and I think I've been able to, we we that grow have grown up in the church sometimes separate the way we see God from the way we handle our personal relationships just because of the way we've been taught over and over. But as a perfectionist, I say, I expect this level from you, my son, my, my employee, my, my friend, my, my brother, my, my family member. You're not living up to my expectations. So therefore, you're... You're my father's son, but you're not, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I see that, no, I need to treat my relationships in the way that God, mm. the God, the way that God treats me. He, he loved the older son, True. even, even though just as much yeah. as yeah. the son who, who apologized and, and ran back. Right. And, 
And so I see myself in that, in that older son too, that hardness sometimes, right? It's like, yeah, well, and the, the text message kind of played on that a little bit too, right? Like, Here's a great question for you. Which type of lostness is the most dangerous? The younger son or the older son? I'll, I'll answer what I'm thinking. Yeah. No, go ahead. At, at least in the case of the younger son, he recognized, he came to a point to recognize, I messed up. The danger of the sin of the older son is that he thought he was okay. And, and I, I grew up, I remember a friend who I wanted to witness to, and I go, what do I tell him? He doesn't smoke, drink, or dance, or swear, or none of those things. Now what? And, and we get this idea that, that if I don't do those externals, then I'm okay. And so the sin of rebellion looks this way over here. It looks different over here. This may look more palatable, but it's rebellion nonetheless. Yeah. And so I find, I, find the, I find the problem of the sin, the lostness of the older son, far more dangerous because he doesn't even recognize that he's lost. The younger one at least recognized. He came to the point where he recognized it. Well, and it's easy for us to be really judgmental of other yep. people. And yep. I, I remember uh, we can also become uh, I don't, uh, jaded, right? Like, mm -hmm. so we can see we can see those responses of yes, I want to come to I want to come back to you, Lord, from 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 some people, and then and then we see. You know, maybe we see those same people kind of taking steps back, and then we see them coming back, and and it's easy for mm. maybe some some of us who have kind of grown up in the church and who have, you know, have come to find a, a fairly stable, well, what we think is stable understanding of who God is, to be really judgmental of those who are, who are, you know, approaching and and then maybe just saying, oh, I don't know how, and then and then approaching back and 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 coming back. The truth is, is that. It doesn't matter how you're approaching God. God is looking at you and saying, I love you. I care for you. I want to be in relationship with you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are, you are chosen by me. Um, and, and for us to be able to, to see that when we look at other people as being chosen and being loved, the same way that we who think that we're following Christ to the best of yeah. our abilities are chosen and loved. Yeah, you have you, something uh, else there. Uh, you're yeah, looking at. Uh, well, I was just going to say, like our, our 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 inflated sense of personal merit, we use that to judge the next person, yeah. and of course, they never measure up. Wow, well, we've stepped right into the story as a Pharisee. Then, yeah. when we do that, yeah, go ahead. I have another comment, and um, I will summarize part of it, but it talks about. Um, unfaithfulness in marriage okay, and, and a personal situation and I will quote uh, some sections here it says I have heard and read this scripture numerous times but have never seen it as I have today so thank you Ernie um, and in this unfaithfulness in marriage there's a re there was a, a repentance and yet a refusable, refusable to, to communicate and then says in this I am like the oldest son and this disturbs me greatly and I will now try and change this through this message and I thank you so much for opening my eyes through this message praise God 
Yeah, there's there's nothing maybe, that you maybe, can do to me. Yeah, maybe repeat what she Yeah. Okay, she's she's saying that goes back to that saying there is nothing you can do to me or anybody else can do to me that is a worse sin is more grievous than the sin, my sin that nailed Christ to the cross. Yeah. What he's forgiven me for eclipses anything that you can do to me. And if that is true, if I've understood what I've been forgiven, and that's the problem. That, that, that story, Simon the Pharisee, when he invites Jesus to his house, and then the woman comes in and, and washes his feet with her tears and, and dries them with her hair and stuff, and Simon says, wow. The, the, the difference between the two, it, it's not a story about how much sin, it's a story of perception of sinfulness. Yeah. And, and so if I can, and it's not about, oh, I'm just unworthy. That's not what we're talking about here. Or that German saying, me asset nushed, I don't amount to anything. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an attitude where we um, receive and demonstrate love to everybody around us because they are all worthwhile in God's sight. And we don't have the judgmental attitude. This pedestal thing, this hierarchy thing is baloney. That's not God's idea. Yeah, go ahead. What Sebastian is saying is that actually, whether we talk about judgment and forgiveness, both sons were looking for something outside of the father, outside of relationship with the father. And, and actually, they had everything available to them. The older son maybe wished he could get himself to do what the younger son did. He just couldn't get himself to do it. But because he was looking for something because he didn't actually find fulfillment. He didn't have that relationship with the father that he could have had. Uh, so both sons needed to come to this realization that actually they had everything. And, and we need to come to that realization that in God, actually we have everything that we need. Uh, Jesus offers us the abundant life. Uh, he's inviting, he's pleading that we would come in. We don't need to sit on the outside and sulk. 
Uh, we don't need to sit on the outside and criticize and judge other people. Uh, we, need to, we need to repent and come and enter into that relationship. So, thank you, Sebastian and Karen and Leroy yeah. and Mo. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we've talked about this amazing story of love. And it has reminded us that you have given us everything because you are a loving Heavenly Father. And there are those listening this morning that maybe are estranged. Whether they're like the lost son, they wandered away thinking that they would fill that hole in their life with something else and they're finding that it doesn't work. Or maybe they're like the older son who um, just uh, got caught in legalism and effort and working for something that they have to just receive. Lord, I just pray that you would reach out to each and every one and that we would be able to come to you and receive the gift of grace that you offer each one of us. And yes, that probably means that we have to repent of our counterfeit ways of trying to fulfill our lives and recognizing that you offered us abundant life. Thank you, Father. We ask that as we go through this week, that you would guide our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our steps. May we walk in harmony with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.